Welcome to the Woman Who Rubs the Mountain podcast, a gathering place for conversations and stories of ecological embodiment. I am your host and guide, Kendra Ward. Our explanations and explorations begin with this single question. What happens when we rub on the body of the earth? How does it brush back against us? Here we seek an intimacy with the land and beings where we live, an intimacy that transcends language, culture, species, even consciousness. Let us come together in creative, strange, disruptive ways of relating beyond the human-centric limitations of our current dreamings. By sharing experiences of embodied ecology, our reality shifts, our core truths sharpen, and space is made for new, old, earth-honoring culture to reemerge. And you, dear listener, can join me in this animus celebration. So I'd love for you to share your explorations of earth-honoring revelry in spoken or written word to the story cauldron. And go ahead and listen all the way through, or you can go to KendraWard.com to get all of the details. So I'm super excited and honored to be in conversation today with Christine Backus. Christine left a corporate communication and leadership development career to become a teacher, astrologer, and healer rooted in nature-based traditions such as astrology and Ayurveda. She hosts the Natural Wisdom Podcast and offers classes and consultations to help people find radical well-being by remembering themselves as an integral part of the living world and its rhythms. In addition to her studies in astrology and Ayurveda, she is also a yoga teacher, Reiki master, and holds a master's degree in organizational leadership. So I'm so happy to share this space with you, Christine. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here and talk about things that are so near and dear to our hearts. I know a lot of, a lot of good overlap for, for sure. So I'd love to ground us just in learning a little bit more about where you are. So what the new and old name of the place where you live, what they are. Well, people will recognize where I live because I'm about 50 miles north of Yellowstone Park, Yellowstone National Park. So I'm just, um, I'm really in that break point between mountains and plains, between the Rocky Mountains and the plains. And so that helps orient. Um, A lot of tribes shared this area before they were pushed on to reservations. The Crow tribe um, is one that's probably the most predominant. But the mountains, the Absorca Mountains, are named after um, that tribe. And uh, Appaloosa horses um, are also come from that same name, that same um, root, at least. And then the other thing that people might not know is that the Yellowstone River used to be called the Elk River because we are full of elk here. Still, although not quite obviously in the same numbers. And of course, it's a pretty common occurrence to see bison. Um, both inside and outside of the park. And so we still have some connections to those roots. Um, But that's, and there's a lot of sacred places in the mountains here. And once you start spending time here, not only do you kind of hear about that, but you also can feel why. 
why they were sacred, how they're sacred and feel that sacredness. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, I'm curious about um, just learning a little bit more about this land and just how you engage with it, um, especially from an embodied way. So how you, how you connect through your body in particular. Well, I'm fortunate enough that my parents, some 40 some years, 50 years ago, or whatever it was, bought a little piece of property. And so my brothers and I share ownership of that. And I'm the one that lives close. So I actually spend a lot of time in the in that area on that land. And um, I pretty much just know the land, the animals, um, the kind of the cycles. And the way both my Ayurvedic background and my astrology background kind of help me understand the rhythms of the land and the rhythms of the natural world. And so a lot of it is just uh, really celebrating those rhythms and allowing my life to align with those rhythms. Simple things like changing the diet right? You change your diet every season because what's in season changes and being connected to that piece of land. It means that I usually try to gather metals every spring, for instance, and make metal soup or metal tea. Um, or, or in the summers when I'm hiking up in that area, I might grab the nettle seeds and have a little snack on the trail because they're very energizing. Um, and then I make medicine in the falls, fall usually from the, um, the hawthorn bushes and the rose hips and whatever else. There's just, you know, the everything is medicine, right? And there's different ways of working with it. And plants, plants are probably the most accessible. But there's also, you know, there's animal medicine as well. And sometimes the animal medicine comes just from seeing them and connecting with them. Sometimes it comes from finding uh, the tooth of a bear in the creek. Sometimes it comes from finding an entire elk skeleton, whole and preserved, coming out of the snow in the spring. I mean, those have all been my experiences, and and uh, those are ways that I connect. And you know, sometimes it's as simple as almost literally rolling around in the moss when it feels good. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I. Um... I've had a tremendous urge to reinduce the nettles, uh, introduce the nettles recently. And I, so nothing is, I think there are, I have a friend who recently harvested just the tiniest baby nettles, but I have some dried nettles from last year that I've kind of been digging. Actually, you know what? <laughs> Got some here this right morning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I really, I really relate to that. And I, I think it's such a, it's such a joy um, to see what comes out of the snow, you know, what you yes. might discover and what might be left over. Cause um, like, for example, the deer antlers, you know, I know that they're all eaten up by the mice and the other little creatures for calcium and everything else. So even to find them is to find anything left is kind of a, a joy of sorts. Right. Yeah. It always feels like a gift to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, it always, I, and of course, you know, that's how I think that's the, the way that we, as you call it, earth honoring, that's the way we honor it is by understanding that it is a gift. It's freely given, but it's also very useful to be grateful. 
Yeah. Just because we're, it's that relationship. And I think, you know, back to that, the question that you asked about um, kind of getting that connection, a lot of it is just as you've talked about um, in your first episode and, and throughout your website, it's about kind of getting um, through practice uh, and the mental construct, but also through the heart and, and the body, really understanding that everything is a being, everything is alive, and we're in relationship with, with all of it, whether we know it or not. And so once we start honoring that relationship, it becomes more real to us. You know, whether it's the elk or the bee or the blade of grass or the, the rock, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm really cu- curious to, to feel more into um, just how you blend it all together. So I loved reading the story <laughs> of uh, the dream that you had the night um, before your first astrological reading. And, and it, it sounds like that's really, that was like a, a big download, a really a turning point for you, something. I, I love the, um, just sort of the instinctual nature of that, um, something sort of undisputable within yourself um, that arose. So, you know, just really curious how you use um, or how, you know, how the language of astrology to you um, helps you break down sort of our cultural idea around separation. Um, and, and, and it's particularly interesting to me because I think that many folks when they're seeking out an astrological reading, it, it can be, it can feel very um, self-focused or individually focused, it's sort mm-hmm. of like, tell me about, you know, reveal things to me, tell me about uh, my tendencies or, you know, the, that, that imprint of the, you know, the map of the cosmos, but it can, we can oftentimes approach it in a way that is very much about the individual instead of about the whole. Uh, so just really curious how you, you pull that all together. Yeah. Okay. Let me back up for just a moment for the people that are listening The the dream, I'll just give you the short version of the dream because it is kind of interesting. Um, I was just starting in my studies of astrology in the night before my first reading with my mentor. The dream I had was that I had a star-shaped cell phone in my hand, but the the user interface, the the screen was busted. And I kept looking at it thinking, well, how am I going to make it work if the screen is broken? And I woke up in the morning thinking, I know astrology. I just don't remember it. I've got to remember it. And so for me, it has truly been a process of remembering. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a bunch of ways to answer your question. Um, One is that you have to remember that, and of course, you know this all too well, in our culture, we categorize and separate. That's what we do with our language and our thought. And so um, astrology in modern world certainly has a piece of that, that there's psychological astrology and there's medical astrology and there's this kind of astrology, there's spiritual astrology, but they're all from the same map, right? They're all from that same chart. Or if you look at a natal chart, you can see the body, you can see the mind, you can see the soul. And um, that's, that's one thing that we just kind of have to keep in mind and um, as astrologers, it's kind of our job to remind people that it's all, it's all connected. And then, um, 
So that's a piece of it. And then the other thing is that we can attune to the planets, right? We can attune to the cosmos. It's, it's in us. That's what the astrology chart shows us is that the planets and their energy patterns are within us as well as without, right? It's the as above, so below, as without, so within the ancient dictum. Um, but then once we start to pay attention, we can feel them in our bodies I and mean, we can feel them through sensation. I did a whole podcast episode on sort of what do the planets feel like? And it was just a quick, you know, just a quick tour of them. But for instance, the, well, the moon's probably the easiest, right? For one thing, it moves the quickest. For another thing, it reflects our inner world. So what we might notice um, if we wanted to start paying attention to astrology is if we don't want have a chart and we don't know what our moon sign is, we can just notice what phase the moon is in and, and what comes up for us every month as the moon goes through those phases. You know, as women, of course, we can, our cycles tend to sync up with the moon, but so do men's. It's just that it's not as visible. So we can start there. If we know, if we have a chart, um, have our own chart and have access to the internet. All you have to do is kind of go check out. You could just do a query. Where's the moon today? And you can get the sign and then you can plug that into your chart and see where it is. And then notice your cycles um, based on your own chart. Oh, if the moon's near my sun, how do I feel? If the moon's near my moon, how do I feel? Um, so, and what I've, learned through my years of teaching it and doing these readings is that when I start, like I just did a class on Neptune last month, I guess it was. And I know what Neptune feels like, and I kind of know what starts to show up in my life. But when I did the class, it was front and center the whole time, because you know, however you envision this, um, you can envision them as external entities but of course they are also internal entities and the analogy, I know this is a stupid analogy, but the analogy I use is that like, if you go to buy a new car or new to you, if you're looking at a specific make and model of car, all of a sudden that's all you see on the road, right? You see them all over. You might never have noticed them before. It's the same thing. If you start studying Saturn, all of a sudden you notice, Oh, I'm feeling pressure. Oh, I'm feeling these limitations or, Oh, this is what it's like to be in form. Those are all Saturn meanings and you can start to, you just start to feel them. So it's this attunement process. And it's that way with everything in nature, right? If you're really a tree person and you love trees and you spend a lot of time just paying attention to trees, you can really attune to that tree energy. And just like nettles, like we were talking about, um, you know, there's, it's a little bit easier with something in physical form in front of you um, to figure out how to really attune with nettles or a plant, but it's not different really than how you're attuning with the planets. And of course, there's an entire um, discipline of astro herbalism, where you can start to see the correspondences between the plants and the planets. Nettles is a Mars plant. Right. So you can start to understand that you're ingesting. Some, I mean, there's more energies in it, right? Because everything is made up of all energies, 
But when you ingest metals, you can understand that you're ingesting Mars in a certain way, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Well, yeah, yeah, I, I, I know that um, the practice of, of using spagyrics really gets into this even in, in greater depth. And, um, and I'm just in, in awe um, because it gets so detailed. Um, you know, in terms of just the timing of what you're doing, when, according to what cycles and, um, yeah, it just, to me as, as an outside observer, it feels very complicated, but also incredibly, um, kind of just watchful and, um, that the waiting for the right energies, um, to have their impact on, on that alchemical process. So, it's pretty right. fascinating. It really right. Is. Yeah. And I don't, um, I'm sure you've probably um, stumbled across Sage Apopam and the School of Evolutionary Herbalism, but I would definitely, for people that are interested in that connection between plants and planets and using natural cycles and alchemy for creating the most powerful form of medicine, he and his um, wife and his whole crew, that it's a brilliant school and they're just And there's a lot of indigenous knowledge from cultures around the world wrapped into his teachings. And he has a book as well. So, I mean, I couldn't recommend his work enough for people that want to follow that path. I'm like, I'm like you, for me, it's a little, um, well, of course, a lot of people look at astrology and think it's really complicated and it's a vast field, right? I'll never consider myself an expert. Um, I don't go down the herbalism route and the spagyrics route because it's, you know, you can only do so many things in your life. Mm-hmm. Right? And I'm also not that uh, quantitative of a person to, to really want to focus on it that way. But, uh, you know, astrology, I think I'll probably be a lifelong learner. And so, yeah. Yeah. Well, is there um, any other ways that like that, a style or any other words that would describe kind of, um, I mean, once again, this is the ways in which we try and box, box things up and kind of have like, you know, mm-hmm. we can, we separate the wrist from the elbow, from the shoulder. And like, it's the same way in, in our thinking. Um, but, you know, just, just sort of curious, you know, continuing to kind of keep that thread going of how you um, kind of pull it all together for people and, um, you know, just, and, and even for yourself, sort of, are there any, um, like practices or rituals or ways that you work to disrupt this sense of separation, you know, and like, cause I think there's so many different ways we could go about it. We could go about it in really paying attention to our language, um, really paying attention to like our continued thought process, even in saying like, um, you know, the ways that we talk about the land where we are, you know, like we, like, like it's ours, like we own it, you know, little things like that. I think we're continuing to disrupt, um, just sort of curious what, what's up for you these days in terms of that disruption process and, um, just the, the ways in which we can push back against the unconscious return, the ways we kind of try, we continually return to the sense of separation. 
Yeah. Um, gosh, there's a lot up for me right now. I'm trying to wrap more of my spiritual work into the astrology work. Uh, and, and there's a new phrase in the spiritual community. It's not a new concept, but it's obviously starting to take root a little bit more. And that's called integrated enlightenment or integrated awakening. And it seems to me that there's finally, even in the more new agey community, like this recognition that there's no separation between spirit and matter, essentially. And so I'm trying, I'm building classes and offerings that are more um, clear, I guess, about that. And it's starting to bring that more to the fore. And in fact, my last episode on the um, podcast talked about karma. Because that's one of the places where people like to divide and, and split and separate uh, and misunderstand and misuse is that whole concept of karma. Um, so that's one of the things I'm doing is trying to wrap more together. It's, you know, for a long time, I thought, well, how in the world am I ever going to integrate Ayurveda and yoga and astrology? But the truth is, they're all ways of relating to the world as a whole, as an integrated whole. Ayurveda yoga is a not it's not seen that way in our culture, but it is a spiritual technology. Yoga is not a physical body thing. I mean, obviously, there's a physical component to it, but it's a spiritual technology. It's about realization of who you really are and integration of all the parts. So what yoga, the word means to yoke, right, to pull together, to connect and then Ayurveda is the, um, the health, the medical science, that sister science to yoga, they go together. Ayurveda promotes longevity and like the, the very specific ways that we harmonize with the earth. And for instance, you know, what I said earlier about changing our diet with the seasons and what's based on, based on what's local and what's seasonal, that's one of the fundamental tenets of a nature-based system like Ayurveda is how do I live in harmony with nature and nature cycles? Uh, And then when I, I I have pulled that into my um, astrology to some degree, it's a little, it's a little tricky because I'm I'm a Western astrologer and I'm using Eastern um, concepts and trying to pull them together. But um, when you look at an astrology chart, all of the signs are, are divided into elements and modalities. And the elements are similar. There's four elements, four classical elements that we typically work with in astrology, whereas in Ayurveda, there are five elements. Um, but there are three modes in astrology, and they're very, um, they are pretty much parallel to the three doshas in Ayurveda. So that that's one of the ways that I like to bring things together is to just see the parallels and see how they, how they show up. And of course, when you're dealing with a human being or any other life force, any other form, um, whether it's the table or or probably not going to do a reading for the table, but um, if you're trying to see the elements and how they show up, you can do that with any life force. And then the chart, it's just a map of that. If that so that to me, astrology pulls it all together because it's got the elements in it, it's got the modes, um, it's it's a similar languages, right? Mm 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say the, the one thing I say at the beginning of most of my classes is that all I, I, there's a quote from a statistician about a hundred years ago that I love and it's that all models are wrong, but some are useful. Right. So Western science is a model. It's, it's, you know, whether it's the chemical, physical, biological, it's a model of the world. It's not the world itself. It's just a way of describing it. Mm-hmm. Astrology is a model. It's a way of describing the world. Um, all these things are models. And when we understand that we're just using imperfect models and imperfect language, that's the other thing that points us back to our own experience. How do I experience it? And then what we're doing is trying to figure out how do I give language to it so that I can talk to somebody else. Yeah, I really, I really love that. I really um, love just that aspect of of bringing it back to our own intuition and free will and um, being able to um, use it in the ways that it speaks truth to us and then be able to kind of also catch mm-hmm. the ways in which it's just yet another system or paradigm or something that's been set up um, that, you know, has its stopping point or its limitation of sorts. Right. So um, yeah, I really, this year in particular, uh, what's been coming up for me really strongly is the connections between Mars Aries season and the liver element um, from the five element perspective of Eastern Mm. medicine. Um, So not Ayurveda, but sort of more of the work that I've been involved in the last couple decades of, of uh, Eastern medicine. And, um, and I feel like people often ask this question of, well, what's most valid? Cause there's all these systems and then some have five elements and some have four. And um, how do we, how do we make peace with that of sorts? And it, it really helps to back off from, yep. you know, getting too involved in like the black and white thinking of this is how it is. And um, I even like to play with the language, for example, of the wood element or liver energy, the springtime energy um, of calling it, you know, the tree element or, Mm -hmm. you know, just changing the language entirely, not trying to get overly fixated in, you know, it it having to show up and look this very certain way. And so just finding the energetic blending, the energetic crossover, um, the the ways in which things merge, the overlays between all these different systems, because there are connection points similarities and energy and whatever we want to call them in particular. I mean, that's great and all, but, you know, just seeing the broad, the themes in a broader sort of way uh, feels really important. And also just continuing to catch the ways in which we compartmentalize these different energies. So we forget that, you know, water nourishes and feeds uh you know wood so it can grow and then wood burns the ashes that create the fire element and like the whole regenerative cycle the way it's so interrelated that none of them are existing as these individual elements that they're all feeding each other and they're all they all are interdependent and need each other in order to kind of keep it all going so just once again not getting too boxed up in the thinking of things. And that's something that 
you know, really tried to lean into more over time, because when we first learn these things, we, you know, it becomes very protocolized for us. Um, but just really being able to, uh, I, I've also heard it described as, you know, we, we see the hand, we focus on the fingers, but we forget about the spaces in between. It's oh, like, that's beautiful. You know, yeah. we see the stars. We're so yeah. focused on those pinpricks of light, but we forget about all that dark matter in between, which is really where like the juice of things lay. So, um, yeah. Yeah. You just made me think about a, a dozen things. I mean, one is that again, when you think about our culture and, and these are so karma, the, the definition of karma is um, a- action and consequence, right? And karma comes from what we believe and what we believe or what we like put our faith in as the, the words that, that you would use um, is often unseen. And one of the things that's really unseen in our culture, besides this concept of separation, right, that you and I are kind of bringing awareness to, is the concept of right and wrong and black and white. And, and, you know, you know, from your studies that even the concepts of yin and yang, which are the duality, right? The polarity, they're, they're separate in a way, but they're also each contains a seed of the other. And so it's the reminder that even in the, the, um, the model of duality and polarity, they're not actually separate. They contain each other. And And so the reason I brought that up is that whole thing about, well, which system is right? You know, when I first started studying, um, I got so confused about the house systems and then the, you know, the tropical astrology, which is what I study, uses the signs, which are not the same as the constellations, but Vedic or Jyotish astrology out of India and um, uh, sidereal astrology uses the constellations. And so people would argue with me, well, and of course we see this in the newspaper every year or so that, well, astrology is wrong because if your son, is, if they say you're a Scorpio son, it's not really in Scorpio, it's in a different sign. Mm. Well, no, it's in a different constellation, but the signs are based on the seasons. So all this to say, I don't want to get off t- too much on that, but all this to say that I got really confused as a lot of people do when I first studied. And so well, how do I know which one's right? And bless her heart, my mentor, Emily Trinkas said, they all work. There's not, there's just different systems. They all work and you get what you get from each one. And so, you know, you can it, like Chinese medicine versus Ayurveda. I have, it's confused me for years to try to understand the different five elements because they're very different and the way they're used similar, right? There's some similarities and some parallels, but they're, I just, they don't match up one-to-one, mm-hmm. right? They just don't match up. Um, but they're, there's, they're both work. And they both have tremendous wisdom in them. They're just different ways of modeling the world. Um, And then I think the other thing I wanted to say is that, you know, when you come back to that idea of what is your experience um, in Ayurveda, there's a concept um, called the guna and it means the qualities and there it's a set of 10 polarities and so you, you would you and those are what you would use to describe your experience. Is it heavy or light? Is it hot or cold? Is it um, mobile or static? 
And so when you get down to those fundamental building blocks and just how do you describe your experience? Well, we can spend an hour just talking about what does Saturn mean, right? But if you get down to your your actual experience of um, things feel heavy right now or things feel kind of restricted right now or I'm feeling very focused or very committed, what's, what are you feeling? And what, is, what are you experiencing? And then that's where you can kind of get away from all the different descriptions of what Saturn is and then just relate it to your own experience. And then, yeah, there's layers and layers. There's the mythology, there's um, the medical astrology piece. There's all these other pieces of it. But again, you can come back to just what is my experience right now? And how can I put that um, into context with what's going on astrologically or what's going on with the elements or, or whatever it might be? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the other thing I want to say is that it's a holographic universe. It's a holographic universe. I'm a holographic representation of the entire universe. A, a plant is a holographic representation of the entire universe. It's all in one, each one of us. And so if we remember that, um, that can help us kind of get past all the the either or and the this is right that's wrong because it's all contained within each of us so so tell me a little bit more about how you work that kind of knowing into your being just out of curiosity you know it can be one thing we say that out loud but then the difference between understanding that on the mental realm as a thought that we repeat to ourselves versus the the, the ongoing um, integration into ourselves of knowing that. So I'm just, just curious in your right. daily life, how you work with that. Well, you know, meditation is super helpful um, and just and not meditation. Well, of course, there's so many different ways to describe it, but just the inquiry, like holding that inquiry when it comes up, you know, um, I listened to a, for, for example, I listened to a presentation during the whole pandemic time about the microbiome. And this was, um, and just about, you know, that component of us that we're made up of all these living beings. You know, we think that we're one human, right? We're not, we're an entire ecosystem. And so I listened to that and then just spent time kind of trying to feel into what does that mean? And I had this, sort of a visceral understanding about that whole concept of no separation. I mean, you and I think that there's all this empty air maybe between me and the other person, but it is filled with living organisms. It is filled with life. It's filled with energy. It's filled with all sorts of things. And so sometimes it's just that contemplation and allowing your, um, like your mind to soften a little bit. And of course, one of the ways I do that is by um, studying what different people say and being interested in a lot of different things. Um, And then just kind of allowing the mental constructs to soften enough that something else can get in, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's part of it. But, um, you know, to me, the most, some of the most useful 
daily practices that I've ever learned have been out of Ayurveda. And they're as simple as really paying attention to what's on my plate when I sit down to eat. Just eating, right? Not doing other things when I eat. And I'm, you know, I'm like everybody else, there are times that I do, but having that relationship with the food and, and again, sort of contemplating um, the food is alive and each thing I'm eating as a being, of course, because it is, right? Um, contemplating where it came from and all the different entities that t- it took to get it to me. I mean, just those very simple things that all of us do every day, just because we're human, are the easiest ways to um, start to break down those barriers. And food, because it is of the earth, and because it is our fundamental connection with the earth, is the is, is it's the most available way. Because even if you're not cooking it yourself, you're eating it. Even if you are eating at your desk, you still have the, the capability to maybe carve out some limited period of time where you're just focused on what you're eating. And it's not just this mechanical, unconscious act. Um, and it, you know, coming back to your whole thing about earth honoring and embodied ecology in Ayurveda, um, actually one of my favorite quotes about digestion is that digestion is the way we turn, and I'm going to paraphrase earth consciousness into human consciousness. It's a transformational process, but we, um, again, in our culture, it's become, um, well, what's happened is we've started likening our bodies to vehicles, right? Just like a car. So we think, oh, we're just putting gas in the car. Well, even that could be a reverential task, right? Mm. But when it's your body and it's food, if you understand that what you're doing is taking in the earth and the way you treat your food and the way you treat your body directly relates to the way you treat the earth. Once you understand that intellectually and then start working with it, um, even if it's just once a week or once in a while, preferably more than just once a month or so, because things that you do more often are going to get more ingrained. But when, when you can approach daily life and your daily rituals with that sense of honor, when you get up in the morning, where's the sun, Right. Again, this is an Ayurvedic concept as we align our daily rhythms and routines with the daily rhythms and routines of the rest of the world, the rest of the natural world. So we get up with the sun, we start winding down with the sun, um, we change with the seasons. Now, our days are shorter in the winter, our days are longer in the summer. That's not how our culture is built, but we have the capacity to at least be aware of it and then try to honor it. And to me, you know, there's, when we think of ritual, I think a lot of times when we think about ritual, we think we have to go get a book, or we have to go get a teacher. And then we have to have this really complicated process where if we don't do it right, we're not going to get the right results. And, um, 
or we think of witchcraft, or we think of all sorts of, or we think of spagyrics and spagyric medicine, you know, all these things that have these very um, specific methods, but ritual can be as simple as setting an intention and then taking intentional action. And so if you're wanting to co-create or to expand on that relationship with nature, it's about setting that intention and then just pick one thing, right? Just one thing. Maybe every day you water your plant with intention. Maybe every day you feed yourself at least at one meal with that intention and that consciousness around what you're doing. To me, that's the simplest. I mean, and if somebody's into like building altars, um, there's, you know, a gazillion ways to do it, but to make it accessible and yeah, to make it accessible, it can be that simple. And that's what I'm a pretty simple person when it comes to that. I mean, I've done a few complicated rituals, but in terms of what I do every day, that's it. I love that. I mean, I think that um, continuing to break down barriers or obstacles for people to just engage in the most basic of ways. Literally, I wake up in the morning and I place my hand on my heart. Yes. And I greet this day as a vast universe of possibility, you know, I think that that it can be that simple. And sometimes it's really important to, to just make it that simple for ourselves, because life can feel we can be overwhelmed with expectation or ideas around making it really, really complicated. Um, I really appreciate you, that reminder, you know, of um, intention setting and just bringing it down to the earth, like really keeping it, keeping it basic. Um, And I just loved your descriptions um, around digestion and, 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 you know, digesting earth consciousness this way. And uh, in my family, I have two children and it really is this ongoing practice of, you know, when we sit down for dinner, uh, tuning into the life of this plant before us. You know, what is it seen? What does it know? What did it experience? What are its ancestral Mm. memories? You know, like, let's, let's dream on its, its family. And, um, you know, and, and then of course, um, being able to give thanks for its life force and the way that it feeds our life force. Um, so yeah, just, just keeping the, keeping it that simple. If we did it, you know, if we, if we tuned in regularly on that level, you know, that's, that's enough. Um, Right. It would completely change our relationship with the earth. If more of us tuned in at mealtime and did exactly what you just described that, you know, honoring what, whatever we're eating, whether it's animals or plants or a combination of both, it's the relationship and the, the honor with which we do that, that matters. Mm -hmm. If you're honoring, um, well, again, whether it's a plant or an animal, if you're honoring it, honoring it, when you take it into your body, um, then you're much more likely to, to buy more responsibly or to eat more responsibly. You know, if you're not growing your own, you're trying to find people that, that practice reverence again, whether it's animal or plant. Yeah. And I really like the practice of in myself, um, 
one thing that I try and work with regularly is, is trying to say thanks before I actually walk the path or, um, you know, I have a, a family of stones that I like to visit regularly, big ancient boulders. And so this practice of giving thanks, um, leaving an offering before yeah. I actually, um, sit in conversation or just sit in presence, um, with these other beings. So it's that it's, it's difficult. Sometimes I mess it up, you know, I'm just like, I just plow right through. Cause that's kind of right. our training is to say, thank you afterwards. Or like we, we say our prayers at the end of the day before sleep, or we, you know, it's like, that's kind of the, the old training. And so instead, you know, really trying to work with that practice of like, stop before I take action or before I, I extract or take, or, you know, um, kind of gather for myself in some way, uh, being able to, to just have that moment of presence uh, and do the thanks and the respect then. Um, so trying to, before eating, you know, just having that moment of tuning in, um, in, yep. in acknowledgement. Tuning in, acknowledging. Yeah. The other thing that I've realized, um, by spending time, I don't know where it came from, right. Is that everything just wants to be appreciated. Mm. Everything wants to be appreciated. And I, and again, you know, I always think about the table, the table, the computer, the pillow, the blanket, the tree, the soil, whatever. It just wants appreciation. Mm. Right. So if we, if we kind of just walk around in appreciation, it makes such a big difference. It Mm -hmm. might sound odd, but it just makes such a big difference. And, and it's, I mean, these are little things that are truly life-changing. Mm-hmm. You know, they really are. And they, they're not just life-changing for us, but they're life-changing for everyone. When we start really trying and practicing appreciation, practicing gratitude mm-hmm. and practice. And again, it's partly, I think what you're talking about that, um, you know, that thanking before it's the practice that helps us sort of internalize the sense that everything is a being just like us. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause again, it, as you said, how do we get it out of just the intellectual? Well, you get things out of the intellectual by making some kind of actual practice by putting it into practice. You know, if you, th- if you talk to trees long enough, your whole being is going to start recognizing them as beings, as, as persons or whatever word we would use as conscious. Yeah. Yeah. Even if the first few times you do it, it seems kind of dumb, but if you do it long enough, it just becomes part of your, your world, right? Again, we're back to that karma part, part of your conditioning. Really what we're doing is unconditioning ourselves and then sort of like reconditioning ourselves. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Figuring out what stories don't hold truth for us anymore and what stories we want to invite in, in their place. Yeah. yeah, And and to me, it feels like in the world, um, there are so, there's so much that's dissolving, um, dismantling, dissolving, falling apart. Um, And so sometimes it can feel entirely overwhelming. Um, uh, And I've, I've heard it described as, you know, if we've, if we've been living the dream, um, sort of this, through this 
uh, sort of white man's patriarchal view, illusion of the world, you know, like what, what is the different dream? What is the, what are we, what are we living through instead? Um, and it, there, it's that moment of amazing possibility, but also the overwhelmingness of, um, you know, it's so big. It's just, there's so much. Um, Which is why it's so important to come back to that holographic universe and what I do matters, right? If I'm a holograph of the universe and this is, you know, I mean, I think it was the Buddha, right? That, that when he had his moment of enlightenment, he said, I am, I and all beings are enlightened. And it's not a concept that I can even say I get except intellectually, but it's that concept that what I do reflects through the entire universe. So if I'm paying attention to my practices, um, then it does change the world. And that's, I think that's where we have to come back to when it gets overwhelming. Because if you read the newspapers on any regular basis, of course you're overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's a whole nother subject, but um, there's something else I wanted to say about that. Now it just left me, mm-hmm. but it's that idea that, that, well, and actually it's kind of back to um, that concept of integration as well. Is that, you know, again, if it, it's the view of separation, right out there and the world and all the horrible things going on in the world um, versus what's in here and that they're a reflection of each other. So if I can work with this, realm this inner realm this personal realm it does reflect into the outer realm mm-hmm. yeah and uh it's really helpful to like once again the grounding it in in the simple moments that, that um yeah like especially yeah like you said when we feel overwhelmed just continuing to tune into the vast amount of possibility within ourselves you know that the vast yeah. um opportunity there uh so well i'm curious what um you know if there's any particular being or element or um something that you're engaging with regularly in in the place where you live that's just bringing you a lot of joy right now or um you know, something that, that is allowing you to connect with a sense of intimacy and love? Well, I moved. So I, um, as I told you, I'm in Livingston, Montana, and I just moved here full time about seven years ago, I guess it was. But my, we've been coming to these mountains here since I was four. Um, The mountains are, they feel like me, if that makes sense. They feel like me and vice I guess vice versa in a sense um I read something once read an article once about um shamanic version a shamanic view of mental health and this person talked about um like crises where a particular energy was trying to become was like trying to become part of you so because that was the medicine you were going to carry and I realized when I read that, that the, med- the mountains are the medicine I carry. And so they're also the medicine for me, right? It doesn't take I, all I have to do. And I can see them. 
But if I can go the 15 miles and actually get on the land, it doesn't take very long for me to just feel like me again. Hmm. And so the mountains um, in general, and there's a particular mountain where we live or where we have the land, um, where we care for the land, where, where you could say we're the stewards of the land. It's probably the best way I know to say it. Um, so that there's that, but then there's so many, yeah, there are many beings, um, and it comes in phases. Sometimes it's elk, sometimes it's bears, sometimes it's deer, sometimes it's marmots, um, lions, mountain lions are, um, an animal that I have a connection with that I see pretty often. And I had, (laughs) I'll just tell you a story of how it all came together. Um, last summer at the Leo new moon, which is in August. So about 20 minutes after the Leo new moon, and of course, as an astrologer, I expect that that was part of the reason I was up in the mountains at that time. I was sitting on the porch of our family cabin and I saw an animal come up from the creek, probably about a hundred feet away. And for a couple of minutes, it was just far enough away that it didn't look right. It was too small, too short to be a mountain lion. It had kind of biggish ears so I thought maybe it was a deer because they're about the same color. And then as it, it saw me and we stared at each other for a while. And then as it came closer, I realized it was a mountain lion, but it was a young one. Mm. And it came up and sat in the yard about, I don't know, 30 or 40 feet away for a good five or 10 minutes, just staring at me and then looking around. <laughs> it kind of made me laugh because, you know, it should have been afraid of me, but it wasn't. It, that's how I knew one of the ways I knew it was young. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so fine. And I, I went in, got my phone, took a video, you know, talked to it for a while and then it left. And then about five minutes later, a big one came through in not exactly in the same place. And of course it was much smarter. We looked at each other for about two seconds and then it just disappeared. I've never seen an animal that can literally disappear like a mountain lion. Wow. Uh-huh. You don't even see it going. It's just in one second it's there and then it's gone. Even if you're watching it, it just, I don't know how they just do it. So it was just one of these very, um, and I don't know that I took a lot of meaning from it. And, you know, it's one of those things that over time it'll filter in. Um, It felt like a gift, right? Because it's not, this isn't a usual occurrence for most people, even people that spend as much time as I do up there. So it felt like a gift, but it was such a weird crazy synchronicity that it happened at the Leo new moon. Of course, Leo means lion, right? Mm-hmm. I have a Leo moon and the new moon was close to my moon. And here were these lions just showing up for me in this weird way. Yeah. So, so cool. Yeah. And there's lots of stories like that, but that's the one that I think is one of the most dramatic, interesting and funny all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's Really fantastic. Talk about a great way of um, just engaging with the joy of an unexpected gift. Right, right, right. Yeah. And like I say, it happens with sometimes it'll go in waves and it'll be bears and sometimes it'll be elk and, you know, very close, you know, like 20 or 30 feet often when, when I run into the or moose, we have moose up there. Those are the animate objects and of course the, or the animate life forms. And then there's, you know, there's lots of plants as well, but they're not, they typically don't make for quite as dramatic stories. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, tell us um, if there's any, if there are any particular offerings uh, that you wanted to just kind of share a description of for us, or, um, you know, if there's anything else that you're, ways in which you're sharing your life force with the world that you wanted to, to tell us about before we close. Sure. Thank you so much for that. Um, well, my, my newest and probably the biggest focus of my gifts right now and my offerings is my podcast, and that's called the Natural Wisdom Podcast. And it's, it, it has some similarities to yours and that uh, what the idea is to really help people understand and remember themselves as nature. And so it, it, a lot of times it's just me talking, you know, last time I talked about karma and sort of this, uh, yeah, and the karma that we create through this idea of separation from nature, for instance. And then uh, a lot of times there's some astrology flavoring, you know, what's going on and then some basics. I've had an animal communicator on, um, I've had a woman who, herbalist who does a lot of plant communication on a couple of times and just various folks like that. So that's my first love. And then of course I do readings and individual consultations and those can be pretty much focused on whatever anybody wants. I'm not, I don't consider myself a medical astrologer, but in terms of just general health practices, I definitely can talk to people about that based on the chart and then what's going on. Um, And then I do classes. I've got a couple of them in the works, but they're still in the works. There's no dates and things set up. So people can subscribe to my newsletter through my website, which is just my name, christinebacchus.com. And you can also, I finally got the donate domain name for natural wisdom podcast. So if you can't figure out how to spell Christine Backus, you can go look up natural wisdom podcast and it should get you there. And I'm going to share those, those links as well. Yes. Make it easy on everyone. So well, beautiful. I have loved um, just connecting with you in this way. I really appreciate it. It's been a fun conversation, Kendra. Thank you so much for having me on. And I, I love your, the whole idea of your podcast and, and I'm looking forward to listening to more of it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, just much gratitude to everyone for listening and for spending this time with us and really for being willing to sort of struggle against your edges a bit as we find new ways of relating while also submerging ourselves in just a great love for this wild earth. And I would love to hear your stories written, spoken, however you want to share them. Um, any of the ways in which you are discovering emergent, uh, creative um, stories or experiences, practices, ways in which you're finding intimacy with the place where you live. So you can go to the podcast page at KendraWard.com to just add your, your yarns, your poems, your revelations of sorts to the story cauldron. All right. Oceans of love to you saying goodbye for now.